Well, good morning. From wherever you're watching, whether it's your living room or your dining room or your apartment at Windsor Park, uh, thanks for tuning in this morning. Uh, I want to greet you in the name of Jesus Christ, who brings us his grace and his peace. Uh, this is a little strange. This is new for me to preach like this, um, and I'm sure it's new for you. And if you're tuning in on Facebook Premiere, um, you can interact with us during this time. So uh, leave a comment. Let us know you're here. Um, if you want to really shout amen, you can type in all caps, amen, um, whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, but let's interact with each other and pray for each other as best as we can and as best as we know how. Um, and we're going to be continuing as usual through our sermon series, but let me pray for us first. God, thank you that we can gather together virtually uh, through the power of technology. And thank you that we can still come and hear from your word. Uh, I do pray, Lord, that you would open up our minds and our hearts, uh, Lord, even in this difficult season, uh, to hear what it is you might have to say to us. We pray that you would speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing our sermon series, our Lenten series, From, from Darkness to Light. Uh, and if you're new to celebrating the church calendar, Lent is a, is a 40-day season uh, where we journey towards Easter. And during Lent, we traditionally focus on self-examination and repentance. And last week, we talked about confession, how, do, how we deal with our own sin. And today, I want to talk about what it might mean to be a community that sharpens one another as iron sharpens iron. How do we help each other deal with and fight against sin in our lives? And I believe this is a critical issue uh, because in general, most people don't know how to confront others in a healthy way, right? Uh, I mean, if the small amount of people who are bold enough to say anything at all usually end up doing so in a way that causes more problems. It's usually maybe abusive or violent or too harsh, and it ends up causing more problems than they intended. Now, on the other hand, for most people, most of the time, they will choose not to say anything. Uh, most humans prefer silence over accountability. And this is actually true. According to research in the book Crucial Accountability, they say the majority of today's onlookers remain silent. You have to put someone's life in danger before innocent observers will utter a word. And even then, most people don't say anything. Unfortunately, this reality is true in the church also. The church in America, we know we have a well-known hypocrisy problem, but maybe we need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, are we holding each other accountable to walk with Jesus Christ? Are we helping each other walk and follow Jesus? Because if we are silent when our brothers and sisters behave in unchrist-like ways, then we are tacitly giving approval to those behaviors. Friends, what if the church took the problem of sin as seriously as our world is taking the problem of the coronavirus today. I mean, sin is a serious issue. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Sin brings death in our lives, in our communities, in our churches, and it even separates people from God. I mean, it's a very serious thing. And I want to submit to you that for the church of Jesus Christ, to overcome our well-known hypocrisy, we are going to have to learn how do we hold each other accountable to follow Jesus. And we, I believe we really need help in learning how to do this in a way that's, that's helpful and that doesn't cause more problems. And I believe there is no better teacher than Jesus. So I want to invite us to, to open up in your Bibles to Matthew 18 and 
Maybe could someone hand me a Bible, one of my friends here, that I forgot to get my Bible. So as you're turning there, open up to Matthew 18, and we'll start in verse 13. Uh, Jesus gives a little parable here um, that you might be familiar, familiar with from Luke 15 about the lost sheep. Thank you very much. Okay. Matthew 16, 17, 18. All right, Jesus says, verse 12, What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen to you, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, as we look at this text, I want to ask the question, how can we be a community that sharpens one another as iron sharpens iron? Let me give you a few points that I see from this passage. Number one, Christian community means that no one is left behind. Christian community means that no one is left behind. You see, no accountability in the church is not an option for us. And I love how this particular passage, it's framed by this image of the one sheep who wanders away from the 99. And the man who finds the lost sheep is happier about that one who returns. And Jesus says, in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Of course, we know God loves the 99 just as much as he loves the one who wanders off. But he loves the one who wanders off to do anything to help them return. And I think in one sense, this image helps us think about how God feels about the lost, but it also helps us see how God feels about those who know him yet wander away from him. Back to Jesus' brother, the Apostle James, he says this in James 5, 19 through 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. You see, Jesus and the apostles knew that many of us will wander off from time to time, and we're going to need a brother or sister who's going to help us bring us back from our wandering. And that's something that saves them from death. It's a serious thing. So when our brothers and sisters wander, we can't simply do nothing. No one should be left behind. Every person matters to God. And their life with God is at stake, even potentially. So we cannot simply do nothing. We must help them come back. And if we are to imitate God, this is what we do. We imitate the shepherd who goes after his sheep. I like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in his well-known book, Life Together. He says, Nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. I think Bonhoeffer is right. Nothing could be more cruel to our brother or sister than just to abandon them to live however they want. But nothing could be more compassionate 
than to help them and bring them back into the fold, the father's fold, the father's house. So no one should be left behind. That's the first thing we need to know. The second thing, we need to work on ourselves first. Number two, work on ourselves first. Uh, This is why I began the series with uh, confession. We confess our own sins and we repent first. Uh, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, I think when some people read this passage, they therefore conclude that we should not hold other Christians accountable for their behavior. But this is not what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is taking issue with blatant hypocrisy, not with humble accountability. See, we need humble accountability, but we want to avoid blatant hypocrisy. So what do we do? We work on ourselves first. We take the plank out of our own eye through self-examination, through confession, through repentance, and then we can see clearly, Jesus says, to take the speck from our brother's eye. And I think this passage, this image of the speck and the sawdust, this is also uh, an encouragement to us that in this process, we need to be very humble. Um, Because often, our own sin appears as just but a speck, but someone else's sin appears as a plank, a massive plank. And I think about this in the image of having maybe rose-colored glasses that we put on when we view our own sin. Uh, We give ourselves the best benefit of the doubt, and it doesn't seem all that big or all all that of a big deal to us. But then when we look at somebody else's sin, we take a magnifying glass, and it seems like such a big deal, and how could they have done this to me? But we need to reverse these things. We should put on rose-colored glasses when we look at somebody else and give our brothers and sisters the benefit of the doubt And when it comes to our own sin, we should take that magnifying glass and and say, Lord, help me to see how this is a big deal and how I can repent and come clean before you. So that's what we do. We work on ourselves first. And I think another thing that, that can help us work on ourselves is we become people who invite accountability and feedback into our lives. I believe an ounce of prevention in this area is worth a pound of cure. And really, I believe, this is a severely uh, under-discussed biblical idea. But over and over again, the Bible uh, paints the picture of a wise person who finds other people who will speak into their life and bring correction. Uh, I like how Proverbs always is is, is so black and white and so blatant sometimes. Um, And it says in Proverbs 12, 1, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but the one who hates correction is stupid. (laughs) He puts it just like that. Another way the Proverbs puts it, Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says, Better an open reprimand than concealed love. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. See, we need friends who will lovingly tell us the truth about ourselves and our actions. Do you have any friends who would love you enough to tell you your shortcomings? to tell you things that you could work on in your walk with Jesus. Because true love will help another brother or sister follow Jesus more closely. The psalmist prays in Psalm uh, Psalm 141, verse 5, he says, Let the righteous one strike me. It is an act of faithful love. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. That's a good thing. 
Let me not refuse it. I think it's interesting that the psalmist prays, let me not refuse correction. Because we're so, we're so prone to refuse the ways that other people correct us. So Lord, let me not refuse the correction that other people bring into my life. And not only that, we need to seek out a friend or a brother or sister who will be honest with us. And I want you to know, church, that I have this in my own life. I believe you need to know that I, every week I meet with two brothers for the purpose of accountability. And we hold each other accountable for the things that we are struggling with in our lives and the areas that the Lord is working on in our own walk. And I have told our leadership and our staff that if there's anything, not even just sin, but if there's anything that I could improve in my ministry, please let me know. Be forthright with me and help me uh, walk with the Lord and be a good pastor to this church. And they do that. And we all need this. Someone who can ask us, how goes your walk? So we work on, our, on ourselves first, but then it happens that something happens in the church. This always happens. Jesus knew this was going to happen. Someone sins or does something sinful against us. What do we do? Well, here's what we do. Number three, we begin by establishing mutual love, respect, and purpose. We begin by establishing mutual love, respect, and purpose. Jesus is always the best teacher here in verse 15. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out the, their fault just between the two of you. So I don't have any slides, or I don't know if we're going to be putting slides in this later, uh, but if I had a letter A under this point, it would be this. A, we are brothers and sisters, parentheses, mutual love. We are brothers and sisters. That means we treat each other with mutual love. We got to approach these things that, and with the mindset that we are family, that we love each other, so we come with a loving heart, a loving attitude, and with love for that person. Scott McKnight, uh, a teacher at Northern Seminary, he says, love is a rugged commitment to be with and for someone as we seek to become like Christ. Ephesians 4 says we speak the truth in love, so out of love for that person, out of that rugged commitment to this person, we are going to help our brother and sister follow Christ more closely. Letter B under this is we say that we are fellow sheep, and that's mutual respect. We are fellow sheep, and that's mutual respect. We need to remember that, that we're all sheep. We all have gone astray in various ways and at various times. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, we all know we've messed it up in many, many ways. And so we come in respect, knowing that we're no better than this other person. We're, we are fellow sheep along with them. We are fellow beggars on the journey, pointing someone to, to where they can also find some bread. I think that's why the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6.1, he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. We need to watch out. We come with mutual respect. And this is what I said. I said something like this in my sermon last week. We need to say to ourselves, there but the grace of God go I. If it wasn't for God's grace, I could be guilty of doing the exact same things. So we approach somebody with mutual respect. And then letter C, we say we are following the same shepherd. Or in other words, that's our mutual purpose. Verse 15 says, Jesus says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. In other words, you've, take that, you've taken that wandering person or the person who might have wandered away and you've brought them back into the fold into the Father's house. I think we need to remember, all of us have the goal 
to follow Jesus and to become Christ-like in our lives. We all have the same shepherd that we're following. You know, and, and the secular world has recognized the need for accountability. Businesses are teaching on how to have crucial conversations with their staff, with employees. Um, sports teams, not that anybody's playing right now, uh, but coaches and athletes, they, they, they know that they need to hold each other accountable in order to achieve the goal. And the church needs to have the same type of mindset and practice. So we don't talk to people about their sin because we're legalists or because we're holier than thou or we're prideful. No, we become because we love each other, we respect each other, and we have the same purpose. We have the same goal. So when we come with those mindsets, what's the next thing we do? Number four, we privately and gently confront the sinful behavior that we've noticed. We privately and gently confront the sinful behavior we have noticed. Verse 15, again, we're we're camping out there. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. So there comes a moment where you have to prayerfully ask, am I going to speak up? Am I going to say something? Is this worth it? And one, if I had a letter A, one, a question you might ask yourself, you might ask, is this a sin or is this something that's just bothering me? Is this a sin or is this just bothering me? Because we're not asking, no one's asking us to be the advice police around here. We don't want the church to be offering uh, not ask for advice, even though that might be helpful at times. And we're not talking about that. The accountability is about sin. And the command of Jesus is that if it's sin, then we go. Not if it's something that's just bothering us or is our personal preference. Um, So if it's something that's bothering you, that doesn't mean you shouldn't say anything. It might just be a conversation to have rather than a sin to confront. But the crucial point is that Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, go, go. Don't just say nothing. If it is a sinful behavior, don't just ignore it. Don't be like the people with the Good Samaritan story who just see something, a problem, and they just pass by on the other side and avoid the issue. We are all tempted to do that. But we have to muster the courage and the love to speak up for another's good. Letter B under this one is to go privately. Jesus says that if the private confrontation does not work, then bring two or three others along. But I think we, want, we usually want to reverse this, don't we? We want to go to the two or three others first and then go to the person we have a problem with. Um, and Jesus says, no, go to the person directly and, and deal with the issue. Um, you know, at times we need to be discerning. There may be times that we need to bring others into the process. But by and large, we simply need to bring it up privately out of respect for our brother and sister, because they are our brother and sister whom we ought to love. So out of respect, we go to them first. And then letter C under this is that we just, we simply gently state what we have noticed. Jesus says, go and point out the fault. And I think it's, it's maybe I'm reading too much into this a little bit here, but I, I like that it's just, just point out the fault, point out what you saw. Uh, and I kind of take that to say, don't jump to conclusions. Don't, don't jump to conclusions. Just stick with the facts. I mean, how often do we misunderstand what somebody has done? All the time. 
I mean, things that happen, you know, you, someone doesn't, you know, uh, return your email and you confront them about it and you say, I saw, I saw you didn't, uh, return my email. You're a jerk. How could you disrespect me like that? And then the person says, well, actually, I never got your email. I, I changed email addresses, so I didn't get it. And th- this whole thing could have been avoided had we not jumped to conclusions. You could have just said, you know, I noticed I didn't get your email. Am I missing something? Um, so I think it behooves us all to simply state what we saw, what we noticed, and ask the person, am I missing something here? And then allow them to respond and let the Holy Spirit work. And if need so, we let the healing process begin. And I think it's important to be so gentle, so compassionate, and in reminding this person that we love them and we care for them. I like what Martin Luther says about the restoration process. He says, run unto him and reaching out your hand, raise him up again, comfort him with sweet words and embrace him with motherly arms. Wow, what a tender picture. This isn't a, oh, I need to confront you. This is, I want to restore either the relationship or restore something in your walk with God. And finally, number five, we involve others if necessary. We involve others if if necessary. In verses 16 and 17, Jesus lays out a process where you bring two or three, and if that doesn't work, you go to the church, and then if that doesn't work, you treat the person as a pagan or a tax collector. Now, I don't have time to get into all the different ways that this passage might be worked out, but I think it's helpful to say that these measures are not a disciplinary process per se. They are a restoration process. All throughout this passage, even the bit about treating them as pagan or tax collectors, as outsiders, even that is intended to restore the person by bringing them back to their senses. They've wandered away from God, and Jesus wants to bring them back into the fold. So he helps them. All of this is intended to restore them. So Jesus lays out this process. So what I want to stress is, this second and third level, this is second, resort, second to last resort and last resort measures. Um, we want to be people who are working on ourselves first, examining ourselves, inviting accountability into our lives, and helping people one-on-one. If we would just do those things, most of, all of this stuff could just po- hopefully be avoided. Um, unfortunately, we know that in our world, stuff like this does happen. Um, but we want to remember that these are all about restoring people, helping them walk with God. So friends, I want to reflect that Christian community means no one is left behind. There are many churches, some denominations, even groups who would say that this process of accountability is actually one of the marks of a true church. How do you know a church is a true church? Well, many people give different answers, and some people give this answer. Is there a process of accountability in the church? And I think they may be onto something here, because I think... Asking, does a church do anything to help their members overcome and confront sin in their lives? That would be like asking, does AA attempt to help people get sober? I mean, that is the point of that, uh, of that process. If they did not do that, they would not be AA. And if the church does nothing about sin, if we turn a blind eye to sin, if we don't preach about it or teach about it, if we don't confront it, then we are missing a crucial part of what it means to be the body of Christ. Of course, the church is not about simply dealing with sin. It's also about loving God and following Christ, loving each other, being in the kingdom of God and extending his love to the world. But certainly accountability for following Christ is a crucial part 
of what it means to be the church today. So friends, my application for you this morning is very simple. If you don't have it already, invite one person in your life who will hold you accountable for following Jesus. Go to some person that you trust and ask, will you be somebody who holds me accountable? Will you ask me, how goes your walk? Will you ask me, how are you doing with spiritual disciplines? Or will you ask me about this, this sin that I am struggling with? See, we all need this in our life. And I believe as we all commit to doing that, if every single person in our church had one other person who was doing this for us, we would become such a community that is sharpened uh, towards the image of Christ as iron sharpens iron. And we would look and act more like Jesus in our world, bringing more hope, bringing more light to a world that desperately needs it. Amen.